I felt like there's a message that I wanted to bring into our congregation over a few weeks. It'll be something that I just want to build on. And so today, I kind of just want to give you a bit of a backdrop, and then we will build on it over a while. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about the book of Malachi. And so there is, I wanted to highlight some of the important things that God said in worship and how they actually tied in with what God wants to say this morning. And so the theme that I want to pick up on this morning is that the book of Malachi is when Malachi the prophet is given a message to Israel, God's people. And what's happening is Israel have done what Israel do best. And what is that? They have gone astray. <laughs> they have done everything that God said don't do, and they are not doing that. And then they are upset with God that their life is in turmoil and that they are facing hardship and that things are really difficult. And so the book of Malachi is actually a book where God gathers Israel together and he speaks to them. And so even as a congregation for us, if you're a part of the church this morning, if, you, if this is your home, I feel like the Lord wants to gather us and he wants to speak into our hearts. And so the message might not be super comfortable, but I'm asking that we would receive it with an open heart this morning. The truth of his word, when it comes into our hearts and it cuts us and it brings change, it enables us and it does so much more then encouragement even can. Actually, God's truth gives us a plumb line to live by. And so God is calling his family together, Israel, which is the, the equivalent would be if God is calling his church together. And he starts with this. And I, I do love the fact that God invented the love sandwich. Where you, where you call someone and you need to speak into their life. And so you start with, I really love you and you're amazing. And then you got to tell them why you're having this meeting. And then you end it with, but I still really love you and I think you're amazing. And so God starts it like that. And in Malachi 1 verse 2. And I want you to know this morning, if we can all just for 10 seconds, I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to tell you a deeply profound truth that is for you. Close your eyes. If you're looking at me, you're not listening. God loves you. God really loves you. He is a father who chose you and he loves you. You can open your eyes. That, that's not a generic Christian statement. God is love. There is a deep truth and it starts with this. And this is how the Lord starts in Malachi 1 verse 2. I have always loved you, says the Lord. That's the first thing that he starts with when he speaks to his children. He starts, with, and we're going to actually, he's going to cover a very difficult topic. And he wants to start off by, by affirming them and saying, Israel, my child, despite what's our pastors and doesn't matter what our future is, I have always loved you. And so I want to say that even where you are right now in your life, your circumstance might tell you very opposite. 
You might not feel like God loves you. You might not feel like God is for you. You might not feel like God's blessing is on you. It might be really tough or really difficult. Or, but I want you to know this, that this is a truth, is that God is saying, regardless of where you are right now, I love you. And then he speaks into their situation. And so it, it has to start with, a, it, it's funny, that is the most simple concept that I watch people unable to understand. The fact that God loves me. And so we have this amazing, this is like Israel as a teenager with God because God says, I have always loved you and this is their reply. And this is what might happen in our hearts. Really? That's Israel's reply. Really? How have you loved us? Things suck around us. Really? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. God says, I loved you so much that I chose you. So first and foremost, regardless of anything that you are going through in your life, as a believer, if you're a Christian and you're sitting here this morning, you follow Jesus, I want you to know the first response to, how do I know that God really loves me? Because he chose you. That is the first truth that you need to understand is that you didn't stumble into a relationship with Jesus. Your parents didn't bring you into one. You didn't happen to just become a Christian God chose you and he showed you his love and you responded to it if you're a Christian. That is the process of becoming a believer. And so if you experience that, it's not by mistake. It's because he really loves you. And when you love people, it looks like something. So is this a super simple, everyone's looking at me like, okay, we get that. <laughs> And if he loves you, and we were singing in worship, and this will be the crux of this morning. This morning, I want to talk about how do we honor God? Because we live in a world where we don't know what honor is anymore. We know what it means to ally, or we know what it means to partner, or to support, or to, but to honor is something that actually is not on the top of our list. Everything is be an ally and support somebody else and do this. And, but I want to say, as a believer who God really loves you and he chose you, does your life look like it is an honoring life towards God? Do people look at your life and think, that man honors God, that woman honors God with their life? Or does it look like the rest of the world? In verse 6, and he says, the Lord of heaven's armies says to the priest, so God escalates. He starts like this. He goes, as your father, I want you to know I love you. And they go, really? How much? How do we know? And he says, I love you because I chose you. Because you are sitting here today with the benefit of salvation as a testimony to the fact that he loves you. And then he escalates. And then he says, but I also want you to know, as your father who I love, the Lord of heaven's army, the God of the universe, that is who we're dealing with. The powerful creator of the world. He says, a son honors his father 
and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and your master, where are the honor and the respect that I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. And I want to tell you that I think that would be probably the most devastating thing if I had to, if God had to say that to me. I wouldn't know what. I want to ask you this morning, if God loves you and he's chosen you and you say you follow him and are his child, does he get the honor and respect that he deserves in your life? And I'm going to break down what honor is, don't worry, because I used the word so many times, I was like, okay, hang on, actually, wait, what does honor mean? Because the standard is high here. If God requires us to honor him with our life, what does it mean to honor God? And I want to break it down to something super simple that you will, there is many other definitions, but these three things will help you to practically apply, am I honoring God in this situation? And to honor God is these three things. The first one is to hear him, to hear God, to listen. The second way that we honor God is we take it to heart when he speaks to us. It means we don't have somebody get up and preach or share a message or bring an encouraging word and it goes in one ear and we think it applies to everybody else and out the other ear. To honor God is to hear what it is that he's saying. So when Wayne would bring a prophetic word, I'm gonna give you a practical example of how we honor God when he brings a word. Wayne would say, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying that there's some of us that are walking on the, we started off on the narrow road following Jesus, where there was no compromises, where sin and addiction and um, unhealthy patterns and the lusts of our heart and the love of this world, where it was very narrow. And then as we followed God, we've gone and got a spade and we've made it very broad. We've made it very easy to follow Jesus. We just, it's okay, you know, when you follow Jesus at first, it's like you give up everything. I don't, was that just me? Who else? When you came to know Jesus, was it like, I will give you everything? But then we get our little holy shovel called sometimes doctrinal theology, and we build a wide path for us to live on that's comfortable, which is like, okay, cool. I can actually get away with sinning. It's not such a big deal. I don't have to be devoted. I don't have to be generous. I don't have to be loving or committed or present. Or, and we make this, this road that God makes so narrow, we make it broad. So to honor God is to hear that word and then to take it to heart, which means this. God, is that me in any way? Is that me? In, is there any chance that there is any area in my life where I have made broad what you have made narrow? by the stuff that I watch on TV that's acceptable, by the things that I give my time and attention to, by the priorities of my life, is there anything inside of me that has gone wide where you are narrow? And then the third way that you would honor God is that you would obey Him. It's just to, God is saying to Israel, you don't honor me as your father. When I speak to you, you don't hear me. 
You don't take it to heart and you don't change. I want to ask this morning, is there any chance that sometimes that thing finds itself into our lives as believers like it did with Israel? I know that it does for me. If God is your father, do you honor him like your father? When he speaks and we hear and we take it to heart, do we change? And not just for that day. (laughs) Not just like, oh, I feel really bad right now. It cut me. I'm going to repent. And then I'm going to just, no, when God speaks to you, this is, this is how it works. When God speaks to you and he says, this thing is wide in your life, I want you to bring it narrow. The one is going, God, I'm sorry, I repent, can you help me? And then the other is, and the Bible's full of this, and it talks about if we bring into the light, we'll have fellowship with others and those who are in the light, because God is in the light. And so then we go to somebody else and we say, Nick, this thing in my life, I need help with. I've repented to God, I've got this wrong. And I've made this thing broad where it's narrow. And you bring a sense of accountability and you, you live out the things that God speaks to your life. But when we are forever hearing and never doing, what good is that? And uh, there's many more scriptures that I'm gonna go on to. Do you know that the Bible would say this, that the more you hear, the more you are judged according to. So you hear this message this morning, this is something that will be weighed against you on that day. So if you hear the truth of the word and you perceive it and you don't live it out, do you know that God actually uses that as a measuring stick against you? Yeah, but you knew the word. You knew, I told you what you needed to do. For those who don't know, they won't be judged according to that. But to what you know, you get judged as a believer. And so there becomes a danger of becoming somebody who always sits and always hears, but never gets cut to the heart and never changes and walks according to what God says. That is a dangerous place for a believer. I love this. Then they they argue again. Israel, God is like, this is what you don't do. And then they say, well, how have we defiled your sacrifices? How have we shown contempt? How, so God's like, okay, cool, let me get a little bit more elaborate with you. You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect when you give blind animals as sacrifices. Isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Pause. And then he elaborates because they're obviously not understanding. And he says, try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So God says, this is what you're doing. And they say, well, what do you mean? And he's like, so in Israel, there was this rule with Israel. God would be their provider. And they would look to him as their provision. And so from the beginning of Israel, when God brought the nation together, he put rules and he put laws for them to follow. And one of those laws was that in response to God as their provider, they were to give him their first and their best. They had to bring their best animals, their best land that they would prepare and it would take massive time and effort and they would offer that to God as a sacrifice. Do you know what Israel starts to do there? Note, 
To give your best is extremely difficult. What Israel started to do in this context is that they've realized that, well, you know what? God actually just wants the sacrifice. So I'm going to do him and me both a favor because when they take the sacrifice, they take this perfectly healthy little lamb, they safari him, <laughs> they t- and they burn him to smithereens. And so they're like, you know what, logically, this doesn't make sense to waste the best on that. So what we'll do is it's going to end up on the bra anyway. So, and you don't need good eyesight on the bra. So when a lamb is born blind, let's just take that one and give it to God because it fills his requirement and it benefits us because we can't really use a blind lamb anyway. Do you see that that's how you make the narrow way broad? The purpose of the lamb was what it costs you, not what benefit it is to him. Our sacrifice of praise and worship on a Sunday morning is not for you. How we worship is not determined by how good Michael's doing. (laughs) And I'm going to use worship and song as an example. Worship is a lifestyle and there's many forms, but don't tell me my life is worship if you can't lift your hands and come to the front and respond in worship and bring your emotions and your whole, that's a massive part of our worship is we bring our whole body and our whole emotions and everything in line with what we believe. Do you know that? That when you sing and we lift our hands, that's what they say, you know, Christians don't say lies, they sing them. This morning we sing, we'll lift holy hands and we we sing it, but we don't do it. We're just like, yeah, Lord, we lift holy hands. Well, he lifts holy hands and she lifts holy hands. They will lift holy hands. No, no, it means we don't come and bring the blind, convenient sacrifice to God because you know what? God just wants singing on a Sunday. Why do we do it? Does he need it? The sacrifice of praise is not for you. It's not for your convenience to bring a blind lamb on a Sunday morning. A disengaged heart that's upset because of stuff that's happened in the week or because it's been difficult to get up at eight o'clock in the morning or because I don't actually like this song or because it's my preference to stand down. I don't want to worship like that. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. The sacrifice was never for us. The sacrifice is we do it because we need to make the sacrifice because it's a reflection of how we honor God with our lives. I watched this trend happen. Um, my wife and I have been super privileged. We've been in ministry. I came into ministry in 2009. I'm getting old. We started leading a church in 2012. And I've watched this trend. In, I've watched. God will speak to people and their response will be to come forward and worship. And then it's like three months later, stuff happens. Then you move from the front to the aisle. And then from the aisle to just in front of your seat again. And then eventually you go from hands up to hands at your side. And, and I, you know, Andrew, um, Andrew, Silly, and MC, they lead this church. They planted this church many years ago. Some of you don't know them. Some of you do. Um, this church, one of the, the, the characteristics of Josh Chen has always been that 
we worship radically because of what God has done for us. Because actually our sacrifice of worship and praise is that we realize how radical God loved us and so our response is to worship him radically as well. And in our finances. This building that you sit in this morning on a cold summer, summer, on a cold winter's morning, this building, I, I wish we knew the story. I wish uh, one day maybe I will do that. I'll get people to come and tell you that I know the guys who laid the bricks in these walls and the guys who built the old bathrooms, not the newly renovated ones. And there were people who sold their houses and gave the money to the church to put this building up. And this building got to roof height and then they realized that the cement mix was wrong. And so they had to tear it down. And all the money that was given was wasted. And people came and gave again to put the building up. So our, our worship on a Sunday morning being radical, is, it's an insight into who we are as people. We're not just radical in our worship. Yes, we are, but we're radical in our lifestyle and it's reflected in our worship. It's a, it's a worship that we are doing the best we can to honor God with. Are you? As a part of this family, if God had to view our way we handle our finances with our tithing and our generosity, and if God looked at your finances and he looked at your worship and he looked at your lifestyle and he looked at your faith and he looked at your marriage, because marriage is another one that he gets to in Malachi. He says, you haven't honored me in your marriage. Husbands haven't been faithful to their wives. They've had wondering eyes. Wives haven't submitted and given their hearts to their husbands. Their marriages don't reflect him. And so he says, you say you honor me, but you don't. You bring me your blind offerings. You give me your second best. And you don't love the ones that are put closest to you. Your spouse. How is your marriage? When is the last time some, you got perspective and hope in your marriage? If you're not married, how is your singleness? Because your singleness can also be unfaithful. Are you faithful? Are you honoring God in your singleness? Do you know why Paul says it's better to be single? He gives us amazing, this is, how, this is one of those perfect examples that the Bible is full of truth. Because if you are married, you will have trouble. It's a scripture in the Bible. <laughs> You will face hard times if you get married. So he says, try giving what you give to me and call that honor. Try go give it to somebody else and see what they think. Give your family your sloppy seconds. Give your job the little bit of capacity that you might have when you can't make it because it's a little bit cold. <laughs> you'll just get fired. Well, don't pay the tax man because I don't have the finances for it. That's fine, you'll go to jail. Or the little bit of capacity that I have for family. Don't give it to your family. Watch how that works out for you. That's what he says to them. Then God says, go ahead. Beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? This is harsh. Then he says this to them. How I wish that one of you would shut the temple doors he says to Israel, I actually wish you stopped bringing your offering and coming to your meetings 
and I just wish you actually shut the doors. I'm saying, again, I'm telling you, this is what God is saying to his people. And our response is, God, is there any of this in me? He says to them, if that is the way that you will bring an offering, if that is the way that you will worship, I would wish that you rather stopped doing it. This is in line with God's character. In, in Revelation, God says to people, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. Well, like, this is a scripture that we, we, we loved to preach for a while, and now we've kind of like, we don't go there anymore. If, I, I, if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out my mouth. That's this Christianity that looks like the world, lukewarm. This, this believer whose life doesn't honor me as their father. I, I, will, I will spit you out my mouth. I am, that day, I think we lose a sense of what is it gonna be on that day that Jesus comes back? Because I don't think the, the, those who hated him are gonna be weeping. I think it's those who are gonna think that they knew him or think, and it says in, the, in that day, there'll be a weeping, there'll be a gnashing of teeth. There'll be, there's this weight in our lives that every day the life that I call is a believer following Jesus. Every single day, I will give an account for this life at the end of my life. Our children, um, we told them about, it's maybe not that light, but uh, I don't know how, but we somehow shared with them the news about the submarine that had gone missing on the first day that it happened last week. And our kids were devastated that these people could be running out of oxygen over a few days. If you, don't, if you live under a rock, there was a submarine that went to see the Titanic. It was a catastrophic incident where people died. And our children, their response was, they, if initially the news was, listen, there are people on a submarine and they are running out of time until we can rescue them. And so our kids were devastated and they actually wanted my wife to pray with them about this. Like, can we pray for these people? They were already gone when we prayed, but our kids prayed. And the things that they prayed for was like one, and just, we have a hunting household, so the hunting ethics are a thing. The one was, Lord, if they're gonna die, please let it be very quickly. They asked that, because they didn't want people to suffer for five days at the bottom of the ocean. Well, the other one was, oh, we really hope that they, that they have an opportunity to meet you. Do you know that that is a perfect illustration of our lives? We're all running out of time. There is a time of ticking on all of us. I don't care how healthy and or how young and invincible you are right now. There is an end date to this. This is what we can see right now. And for some, that day will come quicker if you go to be with the Lord before 95, 100 years old. For others, It'll be shorter. And the way that you honor God with your life and what you've heard is the thing that God is gonna say to you. And remember that when you're a believer, he looks at you and all your sin, all your wrongdoing, all that means you should go to hell, he says, oh no, 
my son paid for that. <laughs> That's his grace and his mercy. But will you be found? Where will you be found? 